Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP Practitioner Course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. nlpwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the show, Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt. How are you, man? Matt Browning. You know, um, we're going to have a chat really about all things change work, uh, therapy, intervention. Uh, we'll talk about Gestalt and so many other things. My guest this week is Rachel Kaplan. And Rachel has a phenomenal podcast where she talks all about what she calls emotional potty training for grownups. She's a licensed psychotherapist in practice for 13 years. Uh, by 18, emotional healing was a big focus of her high school honors project, and she went on and never stopped growing and learning about this. She pursued Eastern religious and spiritual uh, spirituality academically in her undergraduate. She lived in Nepal and India studying this as well. She studied Western psychological methodologies uh, in graduate school, getting her master's in counseling psychology. On top of all of this, she also brings 15 years of teaching yoga, extensive training in cutting-edge therapeutic modalities, even gestalt therapy. We'll talk about that. You should be familiar with the NLP world. Thousands of hours of psychotherapy sessions and exposure to all kinds of alternative healing uh, and change work modalities. Literally, probably anything you could think of. I'm sure Rachel's been exposed to it or has used it. Um, Rachel, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and reading my my fancy bio. It sounds so good coming from you. And hey, I'm I doing mean, well. For the most part, you wrote it, but I read it, and I think uh, you know we both deserve credit for that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good work, us. Yeah. So Rachel, when we met, uh, we met at a podcasting conference and you're launching your own show, which is awesome. Um, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what really, really like sparked me is I, I love your brand. Uh, you got a big poop emoji out there and you talk about emotional potty training for grownups. Right. Um, your show, this is a, a, a family friendly show. So it's called The Healing Feeling SH. IT show. Right. <laughs> uh, what a cool name. All right. First off, especially yeah. for, for your demographic for it. Um, tell me kind of how, like you said at 18, you got into therapy. I, I, sometimes people make the joke, you know, that psychotherapists and counselors and people in, in psychology in general, uh, yeah, they get into it because they need it. Yeah. Uh, what, what was, that's certainly true for me. Uh, what was your take on it and why, you know, by 18, right. you know, were you already focusing on this? How did you grow up? Was this something that you went in to, to heal with you? Or was this something you saw something outside yourself and you thought, I want to help those people? What was the story of getting into this? Yeah, um, great question. And uh, it's pretty straightforward for me. 
I mean, although before what I'm about to tell you happened, um, my friends were already in like seventh grade joking that I was the couples therapist. I'm not sure how that happened. But um, my first love, my first attachment, someone that I was pretty obsessed with. I mean, it was, if I don't know if you remember your first love, but um, he committed suicide when we were both 14. We were oh, almost gosh. 15. So it was really life or death for me. I mean, that was a metaphoric death for me. Um, and, you know, that I was just, I think suicide is so devastating, or I know it is for anyone involved or close to it at any age. But add on to that, just the regular insecurities of who am I and do I fit in and, you know, just confidence, security, all of that. So that was all just really pummeled by this absolute devastation. And so, um, you know, some part of me, I had, I had multiple, you know, some, one part wanted to give up um, and actually tried to stop him from doing it, saying that I would commit suicide as well. But some part of me just relentlessly uh, focused on how to feel better and how to learn how to help people feel better. And so um, I was really at it, I'd say by 16, um, pretty intensely. So, and it's really paid off. And what's so beautiful right now, as I'm you know, launching my podcast. I've been, as you said, in private practice for a long time, but there's a way that the offering that's coming, what, what I'm putting out into the world in this bigger scale um, really feels like the fruiting of the tree that, that was born in that very painful seed back then. And um, it really brings value and, and um, to me just to feel like I can watch how that pain was, has been so deeply transformed into something that is so desperately needed. We talk a lot about, and I say we, you know, we being coaches, practitioners, therapists, counselors, mm -hmm. whatever the the uh, the label is, we talk a lot about, you know, making a better meaning out of something, finding a positive meaning, finding the victory out of defeat, mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. What's your take on? Do you think that having something like that, because you got like motivated out of this and you said, you know what, that's terrible and you suffered it, or whatever the word you would use, but it was hard. And you decided through that to become something different and go down this entire career track. And it seems like you've been, I mean, dead on it for, you know, yeah. a, a, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm not going to stop. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. What's your take on, do you feel like that is necessary? How do you to be a good practitioner? Well, not just a good practitioner, but, you know, even in, in entertainment or in sports, you know, there's always that, you know what, I went through this terrible tragedy or I went through this trauma and I said never again. And now I made something out of myself. Do you feel, because that's such a common story and common yeah. thing. Do you feel like that's necessary? And if you don't have that, how do you, how do you still create that same drive and ambition and, right. and, and need yeah. to help people without having the trauma? Right. That's a great question. Also, um, well, first of all, I would say that it didn't feel like motivation in the early years of that. I mean, oh, and, sure. and motivation in the, in the sense of I'm doing this for others. Um, in fact, I feel like I, I focused it on others too soon and I would kind of wake up to, oh, wait, I'm doing all that out of guilt and I need to just deal with myself. And so luckily I kept coming back to myself. It just almost, it just felt like a desperate need to feel better for me. Um, but I, I think two things I want to say about that question is one is it really is a gift when someone, if someone can truly transform whatever trauma or tragedy they've been through and, and take it deep enough where they have what I would call well-being or balance or health. Um, I think it's such a gift for anyone they work with. And I think so many people come into the coaching and therapy world 
um, and I can speak more about the therapy world. Um, for because it's a fantastic career, you know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I've been, you know, in and out of teaching yoga for years. And there were <clears throat> always yoga teachers that were like, "What? Maybe I don't know what to do. Should I become a therapist and go to your school?" This went back in the day when I was in school, and I always felt like, you know it's really a calling. I think it's an expensive, long, arduous path. And I think part of my, my show, and I risk offending a lot of people, but I'm okay with that, is I think that the therapeutic industry, and I can't speak as much for NLP because I've had limited exposure to it, but um, I think the therapy therapeutic industry is a B minus. There, there's a lot of enabling. There's a lot of um, people sitting back and kind of just asking very simple questions. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And someone is essentially stuck playing the same record that keeps them in victim story or keeps them, you know, uh, outside of their blind spot. And so I, as a therapist and through my journey and my mentorship and my own healing, I've become um, nearly unpalatable, I'd say, and a really kind of fierce, direct uh, interventionist in some ways. Um, but I'm much more interested in actually helping people, which I think requires occasionally making people uncomfortable. And I think part of why that's happening as an industry, of course, you have to look at just integrity around finances. You know, if you really help someone, they don't need your services. That's one thing, right? So um, there's that. But you I help think someone that, and now they're whole and now it's like, yeah. well, wait a minute, you don't have to come back. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think that part of it is that the people who lack that kind of um, demand, that internal demand to really face themselves don't necessarily know how to help other people really face themselves. Um, and I think there was one more piece I want to speak to, but do you, is there anything from your question that I didn't just speak to or is that good? <laughs> oh no, you, you're brilliant. So are, are you talking about then you were talking about therapists and again, let's just call it, let's just call it therapists. And that's, Great. you know, just a general term, but you're talking about therapists that, um, they're going in to help the people, but really it's like they have so much work that they have to do on themselves as well. Yeah, that or um, even, I mean, what's interesting, and I realized this in the shaping of the content for the SHI, actually on iTunes or wherever you look for it, it will be SH asterisk, which I finally know how to say that um, word because it's I the say worst it so word much. to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I really couldn't say it in the beginning, but um, this this podcast has taught me so much. Um, SH Asterisk T Show. One of the things I realize is that, um, you know, it's not it's not from a lack of intention or a lack of desire, and it's not even necessarily from being so emotionally injured themselves. Although I do see that. To me, what I look out and see is that a good percentage of people are um, walking through their lives with pretty crippling core wounds. Um, that they just haven't addressed. Or, or, and what I would say is like a deep, what that means to me is um, a part deep within them that feels unlove, unlovable, unworthy, too much, not enough. It depends, right? There's a different flavor, but some part that is terrified to be outed and you know reveal that that person's not worthy of connection or whatever success they have. So I do see that most people have that, um, but I'm not even necessarily saying that those therapists who are B-minusing or whatever, um, are so injured that that's the problem. It's almost just like there is a certain, to get someone to the core of what the problem is from my experience, we have to have navigated that and learned how to do that. And I think just if you've cruised by either on autopilot or without some of those, um, you know, traumas, it, it can, you don't necessarily need to, you don't have that you know, burning need to. And and one thing just to speak to, this is maybe the other thing I was going to say about your your question just a moment ago about 
Where does the motivation come from? Part of what I sit in is a real understanding of there's also a real burden I've been carrying. It's not all like, look what a great, I mean, <laughs> look what a great therapist I am. I mean, I, I am a profoundly skilled catalyst of healing at this point. I can really own that because I've earned that. And, you know, um, relationships have been hard from that point. There have been I mean, there has been tremendous injury from that experience that was devastating and was not a small thing to recover from. And so, um, and I think that's, that's a also a grown up way to see things as like being able to ho- hold both the gift um, and the challenge and that most experiences of that um, intensity, even if you become really good at healing and helping, there, there is a cost. And so I'm not necessarily saying I would want this for everyone. But I do think for someone looking for a helper, you know, you want to you want to be checking in with, has this person done this work themselves? Do I really feel like they're getting me into a place that I can't get to on my own? And I'm sure that your um, practitioners in your community would have a different goal than maybe I would. But you know, one of the things I say in the podcast is, if you don't feel more comfortable accessing and allowing the sensations of your emotions to move during your sessions, if you feel less able to do that with your therapist, what are you paying for? So say, say that sentence again. If you're not able to have the sensation. If, if you feel unable. Emotion. Yeah. So emotions, let me just say one caveat to that sentence. Emotions in my experience. Um, yeah. First of all, take off the letter E. What do you have? You have the word motions. motion, right? Motion. Like, or yeah, if it's plural, you have motions. <laughs> I like that. I love dancing. So we got, so we got some motions going, motion. but it means to move. And so if you, you know, and what I think, uh, if we really get down to the nitty gritty, which is why, you know, one of the dialogues we had was whether or not this is woo woo. To me, this is as basic and grounded as it gets. Like our emotions at some level are cascading clusters of intense sensation rolling in squads through our bodies. That's what emotion is. It's like a, a surge of heat, clenched fists, um, a dropping in your stomach, a, a trembling chin. And of course, there's all kinds of um, content that sometimes comes with that and thoughts and all these things. But at the, at the, the way where we can relate to emotions, where it actually heals us and relieves itself, where there's relief after, where there's you know, where you're less burdened than you were before you had the feeling, it has to be through the body. It so, has to be at a sensation level. So if someone, just to wrap it up, if someone is going to their therapist, you want to look or their healer or their coach or whatever they're working with, their change maker, whatever you said. And we're, um, we're, we're going to call it a therapist because I just therapist. Word, and that's yeah. what we're calling it. Dang it. Perfect. So if you go to your therapist and you feel less able to allow those sensations of emotions to move through, if you can't feel your feelings, a little bit more, at least often with your therapist, I think you're wasting your money. Solid concept. So let's, I actually do want to dive into that a little more anyway. So perfect segue. So, okay. So my take on emotions. So first off, you're talking about, I love that you you brought in that kind of physiological side of emotions where the trembling jaw, the, the drop in your stomach, yeah. So these are great examples of how you feel a feeling. And we think mm-hmm. of feelings, I don't know like where they are, right? Like you right. Have your, I have my thoughts in my mind. I have, you know, if I stub my toe, it's in my toe. But where do my feelings live? Do you feel like there's a place where they lived? Is it all through your, is it nervous system? Is it endocrine system? Like what, tell me, yeah. just kind of break down a little more right. about how yeah, emotions think, yeah. work and what your kind of form is for that. Yeah. Well, and that, that you know, um, 
what I understand and the reason I have uh, the show, the reason we're doing the potty training is that um, the emotional system and the way uh, emotions and sensations move through our body is one of our body's mechanisms to maintain homeostasis. And we have many, right? It's like if you cut your finger, um, as long as you, you know, wash it up and do whatever it needs, your body will just heal it on its own. When you need to, when you're, when you're releasing toxins, we have ways to sweat or pee um, or poo, obviously that's, that's my metaphor, but Definitely poo. Um, yeah. And the reason why I think it's such a perfect metaphor and really the reason I'm using that metaphor of other than it being a fun brand. I mean, I've been actually obsessed with uh, pooping my entire life. It turns out that, and I talk about that in the episode that was released today, but it's the single best way to learn how to relate to emotions in a healthy way, because when we need to poop, um, you know, we don't necessarily think, oh, should I buy something or eat something or post something or drink or, or whatever, right? All the things that we tend to do when we feel uncomfortable emotionally. Um, we just know that there's one way and only one way to not have to poo and it's to go poo. And it, do, it doesn't mean that you're weak. You don't judge yourself. Hopefully you don't dig through it. You don't, you don't think that that poo is how the rest of your life or the rest of your poos will be. It's just like, that's just, you do it and you're done with it and it's not a big deal. And what I think with emotions and how they would work in a healthy system, which at this point, like, like I already said, I am assuming most people don't have that. And I could talk about that later, the cultural and, and psychological, biological reasons why I think it's, it makes so much sense that we all have these wounds that keep us from having healthy emotional movements. Yes. But, um, what, you know, the emotions is like the, the cascading of sensation, whether it comes out through tears, whether it comes out through, um, a shaky fear feeling or anxiety, that is, I think the way that we are, you know, maintaining homeostasis from the interface with our very intense nervous system. Um, and the world and, you know, and our, and our hearts, like, you know, there's a reason when you have heartache, uh, it physically hurts in your chest. There's a reason we call it that, right? There is like, um, you know, or there are physical, you know, underpinnings of these names. The names are not the thing, right? That's the finger pointing at the moon. And so, um, as far as where do they live in the body, I think it really depends. It's like, you know, and I think part of the work of learning to facilitate these types of movements is getting really curious. It starts from a basic, in, when you start to feel uncomfortable or sad or anxious or, which I would call fear, because um, I like to boil things down into the simplest word for it, because we're more likely to feel when we're speaking simply versus in our very complex, nuanced minds, which is fun. You know, that's really great. But it's like, the, there's a way that for feelings to be effective at like that sense of, ah, like that you get after you took a dump. I hope that's okay to say to your you say audience. No. You <laughs> um, that like lightness, that freshness, or the relief, the, the calmness, the sense of being settled into yourself that happens after a good cry. Like those things only happen if we actually have the feeling in our bodies. And so anything that takes us into our minds, in my experience, is not that useful. Now, which is so fascinating, right? And we could have probably a really cool debate because I know that you guys are looking at thoughts and constructs and words and language. And, and I think that's really important also. But for the emotional system to be healthy, I think it's really about when you get that urge or that, that rumbling or that 
sign from your body, wherever it is, that you gently turn toward it. You get curious. Instead of trying to get rid of it through a drug of choice, whether whatever that might be, and I, I that could be my drug of choice is fashion. So it's like, it doesn't fashion. actually necessarily mean drugs. Yeah, like that's one of my favorite things sure. that I feel... You know, it's fashion, addicted. it's video games, it's TV, it's yeah. Instagram, it's whatever Food, it is. Yeah, validation, so let's, success. Let's, let's come back just a little bit then, because I think one of the things, that, as you were discussing this or like explaining how the emotion works, I realized in my mind, all the other systems, the metaphors you're talking about, uh-huh. everything is like almost like, in a way, a closed system. You have, yeah. you know... Um, well, you know, you, you got you to go poop. So it's like, great, we have our digestive tract and this is how this works. You bring in your food, you right. take the nutrition, the yeah. rest is toxins, then your body has to pass out and get rid yeah. of the toxins. Right. Emotions seem like they're a little bit tricky in a way because it's not just one system. I can see how emotions yeah. are certainly connected with, with our, our mind, the consciousness, our, our yeah. brain. It's connected with our nervous system. It's connected with, like I said, the endocrine system. It connects to everything. Right. Although so, I think like, like most experts, you know, even just what, what they're um, showing right now between the correlation between gut health and, and yes. mental health would say That's that none next. of those systems are actually separate. I mean, our bodies are interrelating systems. Yes. I mean, I do agree that the emotional system is connected to everything. Um, and, but I think I, I, and I can't speak to this, you know, intelligently because it's not what I've been doing for 25 years, but I do think there's a lot more interplay than we would think. With- sure, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, def- I'll definitely give you that. But I guess for the, just for the purpose of kind of the illustration, you know, you take in food and you poop out the toxins and right. it's pretty clear cut. But specifically, but exactly, emotions are tying into everything. So when, so here's, here's what I'm wondering too is, mm-hmm. so I get an emotion, right? Something happens. I, I, have, a, I have a loss or yeah. I'm scared of something or I get verbally attacked, you know, by yeah. somebody. And now I feel something. Right. So it's in my body. Yeah. And would you call that a toxin? Like, hey, I can't keep, you know, this, my white blood cells have to go and fix my, uh, uh, my cut finger yeah. and, and get this extra piece out or I need to poop things out. Is it a toxin well, or is that that's too limiting because there's also positives for the emotion? Right. How would yeah. you kind of explain the well, positive? I think, I think in, at a certain level, it's a consequence. I mean, I actually don't think that emotions are positive or negative. Obviously, we prefer some more than others. And there's certainly some that are painful. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's no difference. But what's cool no, is t- when, talk get, to me about that. when you get good at this work, um, you know, like so a loss, like something happens someone, I don't know anything about you to know like how to make it work, but like someone gets dumped or, you know, um, whatever you're sad. It's like, like to really sit in the experience of sad. So it's like, maybe there's an aching and there's a crying and, um, trembling the the heartache. Right. So I relate to that. I go, man, I feel that physical feeling in my chest. It's deeper when I breathe, you know, I feel like there's something in there. It's physical. And right. I'm thinking about the loss. Right. And yes. What, so that emotion, this what was what interesting. Is what, well, you said it's not positive or negative. And I suppose I could see that too, where sadness isn't negative. Sadness is the right emotion for the situation. Yeah. Right? And sadness is the price of loving. Like sadness mm-hmm. shows us that we care. Sadness 
you know, sadness is part, you can't be a human who's living and not have sadness. I mean, we're going to lose our lives. We're going to lose our loved ones. We're going to lose our cell phones. It's like, that's part of the terrain. And so, you know, people who have blocked off their capacity to be sad have also blocked off their capacity to connect, to care, to love. And so, and, but what I think is what, what happens is when we start to experience the emotions at a sensation level where there's release. Um, and, and we are at some level looking for release. It's, it's delicate because you can't approach this system, especially if you haven't been emoting for 20, 30 years, you can't come in like you're ordering something on Amazon prime. You can't come in and be like, I need to cry, you know, get on it. It's like that these parts of us, especially if they've been offline and shut down through all of our distraction drugs of choice, they need care. And so it's really, that's why there's 12 episodes teaching people how to do this, how to work with the different emotions, how to work with emotions generally, why they should in the first place, my take on how we got wounded. It's like there is an art form and a skill set that needs to be reestablished. But when someone gets that going and that they're good at that, you know, I have clients constantly coming in and telling me, you know, I had this massive fear party or anger party, or I cried for like 45 minutes and they're proud of themselves because they needed to. And then afterwards they felt better and they learned how do they then come out of the state where they're really being in or enlivening the sadness. Um, well, that's part of the work is like teaching people, how do you drop into it? The parts that where those feelings are feel true. Because, you know, the truth is in one of the fabulous things, about poop. None of our poops are true. They're poop, but they're, it's not like that's the new reality, <laughs> you know? And, um, my, it's my, where I live now in the toilet bowl, that's my yeah, life. Yeah. Or like every poop's going to be like that. No, we know depending on what we eat and whatever, um, you get it. Uh, my favorite musician of all time is, uh, Tom York of Radiohead. And one of my favorite lines is just cause you feel it doesn't mean it's there. And then it says, they're there. That's the name of the song, which I love because it's like a soothing thing. And what's wild is my life is literally obsessed with emotions right now. That is my mission. It's my message. It's what I'm helping people do. And we need to be able to feel the parts of us that feel like these pains and these beliefs of worthlessness are true. This is my experience. I know you might have your own. I definitely know that. Um, but you know, and there's an art to letting yourself become that part that feels like it's true. But then ultimately at the end of it, doing that reality testing, which is, is this really a balanced thought? Is this true? Um, and I think what happens and part of how people get stuck in their healing from my experience is that people will drop into a little bit of feeling. They'll be like, oh man, I feel like everyone's better than me or I'm behind or I'm worthless or I don't know, do I deserve this? And then immediately they talk themselves out of it, you know? And then they're just kind of in this war of, do, is this is this true or not? And they never really make progress. Whereas I'm like, okay, if that feeling keeps coming up, if you have time, you're not always going to have time. Sometimes we just have to be like, you're good, buddy, and keep going with the day, right? Sometimes but that's the day. Yeah, you have to. And we're functioning, hopefully, as grownups. But or whoever you are, you're trying to deal with life. You can't always have your feelings. Just like you wouldn't always poop wherever you are, right? It's like you go somewhere. Sometimes you, you got to pinch one off and wait till you get home or, yeah, or you might look exactly. at the, the bathroom and go, this is not happening in this, in this, uh, yeah. industrial complex. I'm out of here. Exactly. And for everyone who's like, Oh, that one time I did that, it didn't go well. By the way, I need your poop stories. Each episode has an actual feces poop story of, uh, for comedic relief, because if we're not having fun, what is the point <laughs> of healing? So, um, I'll tell you later how to email me your poop story. Um, but anyway, 
So let's see. What was I saying before the poop? Um, well, if we actually, it's a good time to segue. Okay. I want to, I want to ask you this question and let you go off on this one. Cause okay. the thing is, <laughs> this is brilliant, Rachel. Cause like people, they already know my opinion. I want to know okay. your opinion. I want to know okay. your take on this. Great. So one of the major maybe points of contention potentially uh-huh. or right. points of sale for juicy, juicy. Yeah. This is the NLP world. Okay. Um, a lot of NLP people and life coaches, they subscribe to the timeline uh, work that got popularized by Tad James and Wyatt Wood Small in the late 80s, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all been using it and taking, you know, it has a different name, but timeline therapy is what, you know, they originally uh, dubbed it. And the biggest concept with it is they call it content free. And I've taught this a lot and I've used mm-hmm. it a lot and I've seen a lot of great results with it. I'm curious on this take because it almost is, is exactly opposite. So here's the concept. You have this trauma and rather than going into the content, the story of it, the emotion of it, the meaning of it, the, the visualization of it, all that stuff, you can work through essentially changing the structure of the memory and the structure of how you access it mm-hmm. to change the result. Now, one place it goes really effective, and I've done this so many times, is with phobias. So uh-huh. I don't ever need someone to tell me what happened in their phobia. What we do is essentially kind of cross the wires of how they access the traumatic memories. Uh-huh. And when you can't access it the same way, you don't get scared anymore. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of phobias at this point uh, disappear in a short yeah. period of time. Now, right. that's kind of one take. What I love about what you're saying is you're saying, listen, these emotions have a physicality to them almost. Uh-huh. And you need to feel them, go into them, process them, push them like through like a poop, let them go. But you can't ignore those things. Yeah. Well, one of the things I want to say is one of the modalities I use as a therapist is EMDR, which is probably more similar to what you're doing, where we activate the um, phobia or the trauma just enough so that they're, it's in their nervous system, in their brain, and then we stimulate left and right brain. Yep. And it's amazing. And you don't really, like the content is really just a matter of like GPS locating. Totally. So I do think that there are other ways. It's not about, I, you, don't, you never ask me, how do you feel about your brother who, th- who threw the rubber snake on you? That doesn't actually come into play with... Well, I would ask them just so that we can light up that neural network enough right, that right. that we can start the process where they're just kind of free association. That's a different thing. I'm sure it's different than what you're doing too, but I just, yeah. I do also respect mechanisms where I don't think every single situation calls for this. What I do think calls for this is that because most of us were conditioned out of our emotions um, and a, even as, as subtly as a parent saying, shh, you're okay. Yeah, or, that's a good or, point. Yeah. Or, um, you know, like we're so wired to need connection as, as babies. It's, you know, it literally feels like we're going to die. I mean, there's studies about monkeys who chose terry cloth covered wire objects over food to cuddle with because that's how important our attachment needs are. That as, as tiny little babies, I think we will do more or less anything we need to, to keep connected. And so if our parents, um, you know, initially or caregivers and then subtly or less subtly, um, more and more layers of society are all telling us don't feel, especially for men, you poor guys who are being taught you, you can't totally. feel. There's a way that what happens is there's like all of our emotions get really compressed and repressed. And so if someone, what I would say to your question and your model and your community is, I think it really depends on if that's working, you know, if, if someone is able to transform and I, I I think maybe less so looking at a phobia, but more around one of these core beliefs of worthlessness or too muchness or not enoughness or doomed to be aloneness, all that. 
you know, then what I think each person needs to do who's working with this is ask themselves, you know, deep down in moments when I'm alone, in moments when I'm, I'm not being stimulated, I'm not being distracted, um, you know, or as I'm getting close to someone new, or as I've been hired at a new place, do I have these kind of quiet, for some people it's quiet or like screaming voices that, that wonder, you know, when I'm going to get exposed for being an imposter or when someone's going to leave me or, uh Oh, what if they realize that this is what I'm like when I do this or that? It's like, what I think is that it's really possible to mask a lot of the pain, but just like if we ate and didn't poop for 20 years, we would be sick, if not dead, you know, we would be dead. Right. It's like, I think that it's really impossible to be healthy if you have, um, you know, a huge backlog of emotional congestion and constipation. The goal, just so you know, from my point of view is that once someone does some of that backlog of healing, which is releasing and connecting enough to that pain, which doesn't so much, the content is also not that important to me, honestly. Okay. It's like, it's like we want to use the content for the purpose of lighting up the sensations in the body for the purpose of one yeah, little to access it and to time. It. Totally. You can release, you can move it. So you're not as, you know, burdened with it. Um, you know, and I think, I think why is the worst question most people can ask when you're, when you're starting to have a feeling or sensation of pain, because the why immediately puts us back in our heads. And from my point of view, that is not the place you're going to have a movement from or release from. Um, so I'm not, I, I agree that I don't think it's so much about working it out. Um, it's, a, it's a great distinction about because because feeling the emotion isn't about the content necessarily either. Great distinction. So guys, again, if you're, if you're doing timeline therapy, you're doing NLP, you know, you hear a lot about content free or looking at the structure. This is very similar in, and I love the uh, connection to EMDR, or if you're doing like EFT work or whatever it is, um, it doesn't have to be about the content, but you're saying the really important part is, is lighten up the neural network finding out where it is in the body, where it is in, in the nervous system, how they're feeling it, and getting them in touch with it if they've forgotten. Okay. Enough to move it. Exactly. So follow-up question for you on this. Wait, let me just say one more thing. Because the, the, um, it connects the last two, your, this question and the one before. What happens then is like, the person needs to be able to, in my experience, to actually move the grief or the rage or the terror, they have to find the part that believes that it was true, even though it wasn't true. Like we said, feelings aren't true. Poops aren't true. Um, and then once you, but that like connecting, realizing that part is also me, you know, it's like, like the, the Jungian view of dreams. And I, I don't do anything with Jungian therapy, but it's like, or even gestalt. It's like in every single dream, we are everything, right? Like every part of us, every belief in us, it's all part of us, right? And so you dip into the part that believes it's true, let it move, and then you come out of it where it's not true. And what I think is, you know, and for your people as a check of like, well, do you need to do more work with your feeling body? You know, I would just ask you how, like, if these, if you still have those little voices that fear that this is true. And I think to heal to the point where you don't actually think that, you know, that maybe if people knew you well enough, they'd realize blah, blah, blah. Um, you you got to earn that it's that it wasn't true, that it was just, that it, it was a feeling that I, like for me, I remember the moment, there was a moment of like, oh, I felt bad. I wasn't bad. I just felt bad. And that sounds so so basic, but it's like the process of earning that by bringing in those parts of me and strengthening them and 
you know, and one other gestalt thing, since you seem to have gestalt crushes over in the NLP world, you know, one of our basic premises is contact is curative. And so the simple act of turning toward the parts of us that have been holding this disallowed, um, you know, imprisoned pain helps them actually feel worthy of being part of the rest of our amazing grown-up selves, right? It's like they actually shift where we no longer have this kind of ghoul in the closet is part of how I like to describe it. Okay, I'm ready for your next question. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> so one, of the, one of the phrases I, I learned from my wife, we've learned to identify emotions is um, they may not be true, but they're valid. Yes. And, and I never, like, so I grew up not really... I don't know, validating emotions. And I, maybe it was in that same sort of storyline of, like you said, shit's okay with the kid. And we learned that, you know, hey, I feel really scared about this. And what does a parent say? We want the kid to feel better. It's like, oh, yeah. don't be scared. It's not right. that bad. It's not yeah. this. You're right. going to be okay. But totally. they never, and so what we try to do with my son quite a lot, uh, you know, he's eight and we don't want him to like stay scared. But sometimes we'll just simply validate something, you know? He says, yeah. oh, I'm really scared about this. And I go, oh, I get it. Like that yeah. must be really hard to feel scared. And he goes, yeah. yeah. And then, right. we'll, and, and we validate it. So it's like, it's okay to feel that. Yeah. And then after that. that, let's talk about what we should do about it. <laughs> right. But I think so many of us grew up with rushing to yeah. don't feel it, change it. No, that's not true. Oh, right. I feel like I'm a bad mom. Oh, you know, you're not a bad mom. And right. so we've had exactly. these conversations where she says, look, I know that's not true, but I, I just feel, feel it, it still. Yeah. Yeah. So I've learned, I've learned as a, so if you're listening, you're the not feeler type person, one of the greatest ways to support, I believe, is you can learn this. It's okay if it's not true, but it's still valid. Tell me about this, Rachel. Um, what I about, love that, by the way. Isn't it cool? It's such, yeah. it's such a simple thing. It's helped me a lot, for sure. And one thing with, with your son, your wife, and everyone is just like, of course you're scared. Of course. Can you give yourself permission to be as scared as you are? Because if you can give permission to be scared, like, and feared, let's just say what, there's two main ways to move fear in my book. One of it's frenetic. Like maybe someone shakes. That's what animals do. They get through trauma and then they shake. Maybe you shake or you put on weird music and you kind of twitch around and have a little dance fear party. Oh, so or, that's a real, a real like application. This is an actual way to go to the bathroom emotionally. Oh, I give to get you your body to shake. Yeah. And I, I will give you, I and I'll that. actually give your listeners a real easy way to streamline into the action part. And uh, like the crux of the, of my journey, my SHIT show is um, getting people into actual techniques of how to move this. This is not woo, woo, ungrounded. This is like, so, and with fear, it's interesting because it's generally a really fast feeling. It's like a fast nervous system can be shaky, ungrounded, and it's terrifying. Of course, it's like, that's, that's what it is. is fear. Um, so well, let's, either... let's come up before, before we get into a little more of the how I want to okay. make sure I get this part clear too. Um, thanks for going through this. This is so great. Yeah. Um, the difference between there are people who also feel feelings and they get trapped in them. Yeah. They get addicted to the feeling, yeah, um, totally. the, whatever that is. How do you differentiate yeah. between basically you need to feel the feeling, but then we're trained a lot in therapy that we see people that are stuck in a feeling or, yeah. Yeah. They, they've trained Absolutely. themselves to be addicted to the feeling. Yeah. What's the differentiation between yeah. feeling it because they want to feel it versus feeling it to Wallowing. process it? How do you, can you speak to that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. There's a real uprightness in the kind of work I'm talking about. It's like, uh, there's an agency of, um, and my, my foundation in Gestalt really, I prioritize agency and I think everything. Ex explain at some agency level. if we're not familiar with it. Yeah. Agency meaning, um, 
like I have power here. I can, I mean, in Gestalt, the basic concept of agency comes from like, I can meet my needs. You know, I can sit here and then I become thirsty and then I can go out and get what I need for my thirst. Um, and that in, in some way in the Gestalt model, the view of health is someone who has been unconditioned from all of you know, the things that they internalize that were not really theirs so that they can feel themselves in the moment and be able to respond to each moment in their agency. Um, you know, for me, as the way I'm working it, I would say there's an other piece around accountability, which is whatever happened to you as a kid, okay? Yeah, as kids, we're vulnerable. We're, we cannot leave our parents and go find food for ourselves. There is a way that there is... Um, a passive element or something that really genuinely feels like a victimized experience or can, right? But by the time you're actually trying to heal yourself or work on yourself or do the NLP or the therapy, whatever it is, at this point, it is no longer appropriate for your parents to fix it. And nobody actually can do it for you. Not even me or all of you NLP practitioners. It's like, if someone, I, I really believe that. It's like, just like I can't poop your sandwich out for you as much as I might love you and want to, right? And so if someone, there's a sense of, I am choosing to turn toward this pain and I'm going to let it be real to me and learn to care for it, learn to have a relationship with this little girl in me that did feel so alone and so abandoned or so you know, shamed, whatever it was, whatever the story is. Um, and, you know, I'm going to connect with her because I want to be healthy and I want to help her have less pain. And so in that way, it's a, it's very different, you know, than a wallowing and a victim story. And then just woe is me. And if, when I have people come to me who don't want to do that, who, um, you know, and I'll, and I'll come back to a real, like the most basic thing you can tell if someone's in pain to see whether it's working is, is there any shift in their state after? Are they relieved after? Is there a lightning after? Are they having, the goal is to have less pain over time. If you do the backlog healing, the goal is that your emotions really become like a different navigational map around how life, how well your life fits and what feels right and doesn't and which friends you enjoy more and don't and when you need to make a change. They're like, they're information for us. It's one of our ways of really tracking ourselves. So the goal is not, this is not actually, the, the hidden gem is it's not actually about emotions, but it's like, if you want to have the life of your dreams, you want to actually feel like you're as worthy as your dog and your kid and your mom and your coworkers think you are, you know, it's like you do the healing work so that you can be yourself. So that when you do have something happen, like a fight with your partner or, you know, um, something kicks you, kicks your baseline, like, uh, you know, a challenging thing happens, you know how to recover it because you know how to let your body do its thing emotionally. But it's really not about, you know, making the pain king or queen. It's about, you know, connecting to it. And so if someone doesn't have that shift state or state shift, if they're just getting deeper and deeper into any kind of victimhood, it's not working. And so, you know, what I, and what's so beautiful, one more thing I'll share, and I'll share it from a personal place because, um, you know, what I see the, and the way I've been trained um, by my last mentor and just the way I've come to understand this work, that there is like you know, there are different emotions and there are different injuries in the system, but the deepest, the deeper you go, the more you're looking at like questions of shame, worthlessness, and belonging. Like feeling like somehow I'm not okay, or am I okay as I am, or do I belong here? Do I have a place here? And it's really, and part of what's cool about it is to get to that place where you can actually feel and move shame, you have to get kind of strong. You have to start with anger and sadness and all these other things. But um, I remember a point where I was 
feeling my shame and I was writing. I was about to go on this retreat with my mentor and I was just burning. It literally felt like my skin was melting. There was so much acute sensation. It was excruciating. I was writing the most horrific stuff about how this little part of me felt. And I was, you know, while I was in a level of emotional sensation and discomfort that I had never accessed before, it was really the deepest yet. And it was terrible. It was also, I was sitting there and just like, look how strong I am. Look how much I'm able to connect with this. And it absolutely helped. Within a month of that process, and it was a lot of work preparing for this retreat, but you know, I was like, wow, I actually love myself. And you know, there's a lot of talk about self-love on the you know, social media feeds and the memes. I don't know if your community talks about it, but it's like, I think it's a really, it's actually to actually feel that for ourselves takes work, effort, and um, you know, it's the best thing in the world. So I just think that this process is really for the empowered. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not about just dwelling in emotions. Yep. So the, the biggest thing I'm hearing from that, I think this is such a great takeaway and a test is if you go into an emotion and if you feel an emotion physically, mm-hmm. to know if you processed it, have, have you moved further? Have you gotten a little bit of it out or a lot of it out? Do you feel better after? Yeah. Um, and so don't just, if you go in and feel it and then you're like, well, eventually, because some people it's like you get bored feeling it. So you just eventually stop feeling it and you change the emotion to something else. So you should know you're processing because you're feeling better after it. Um, and you also talked a couple of times, Rachel, and, um, as we're coming to sort of the twilight of our time together here, because um, I know you're going to have to go pretty quickly. You have a quiz. You talked about core wound. Yeah. And you, it's so cool. I've never seen this before. You have a quiz where you can really help to identify uh, someone to identify their core wound. Guys, right. you can find this at www.yourcorewound.com. Right. And yourcorewound.com. Tell us about the quiz and anything else you want to yeah. uh, to plug that and can it, help people uh, connect with you more. Great. Thank you for that. Um, well, first of all, as I said, you know, in some way, this, this quiz is not necessarily going to tell you what the flavor of your core wound is because the flavor of most core wounds are so similar. But what it will tell you... And by the way, you take it. It takes about five minutes, the little sliders. You just respond to different statements. And then I get an email and I'm going to look at it. So I actually, and right now this is a lot. I'm looking at all these core wound quizzes and I look at which one you scored highest. And basically between anger, sadness, fear, and shame. And then I send you a little module that gives you the episode of my podcast that correlates to how to specifically move that emotion, as well as a little video of me in my apartment talking to you about little tricks you need to know and a a list of skills. Um, And it will streamline you, kind of expedite you to the skill part. And for people who have really been working with themselves a lot, that's a great way to go. I absolutely recommend, and I really poured heart, soul, bank account time. I've never worked harder on anything on the first season of the podcast, which just uh, the last episode of it dropped today. And um, it really will take you step by step through this in a very deep way that you know, can help you buy without anything else. Like if you practice it, if you integrate it, I think it's like the best I have to offer. And so I do suggest if you're interested going through that, and that is Healing Feeling SH asterisk um, T show on iTunes or wherever you podcast. Um, the, the quickest way though to, to connect with me and to kind of get something from me um, is through Your Core Wound. And then on social media, Uh, We got my title. I'm not going to say it again, but I do have the eyes involved on both Instagram. So at Healing Feeling um, Blank Show and same thing on Facebook, the eye is there. And I would love you guys to connect in and follow. And 
um, I met a neat place where even though we just were coming up on 40,000 downloads after um, just uh, nine weeks or no, 10 weeks. Wow. Um, that's phenomenal. Good thanks. Yeah. Cause it's like, we need this stuff, but um, I'm still engaging. It's like, I really have space and love hearing about, you know, people's impact. So please like reach out to me. I'm available. And um, there are, and if you go to my website, which is exactly what you think it would be, um, healing feeling, you know what, Joe.com. Um, I, there are some other things about just services I provide, but the best way is go to the, go to the quiz and just download the podcast. Awesome. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on the show. I sure appreciate your input. And this was a, a very riveting discussion. Thank you so I much. I know. Yeah. I feel like we should do it for a couple more hours, especially so we can get, you get you guys some more gestalty stuff, but thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, it's I really said, I like, I didn't say they all care about gestalt. You never know. Anyway, Rachel Kaplan, everyone. Guys, thanks. thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope this was a fun and exciting interview. Um, I loved it. If you want to hear more with people like Rachel, you let me know. Uh, follow social media at Matt Browning, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You know the drill. So if this is interesting at all to you, make sure if you haven't already, double check. You know, uh, If you're listening on in the radio, make sure you head over to an on-demand uh, platform. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeart, literally wherever you get on-demand radio shows, podcasts, we are available. The Driven Entrepreneur, just search my name, Matt Browning, or The Driven Entrepreneur, you will find it. Make sure you subscribe on a platform. You'll get the episodes automatically, and they'll come right down to the device of your choosing. That's the way to do it. Get out there this week and crush it. 